Colleges is brought to you in part by Osiris Media. If you love live music, if you love music in general, and I know you do because you're listening to this right here, head on over to OsirisPod.com and find all the great shows up there uh, like Freak Flag Fine with David Crosby, uh, Dead to Me, uh, our sister podcast hosted by Casey Ray, Broke Down Pod hosted by our friend Jonathan Hart. Find all that and more at OsirisPod.com, who are partnered with Jambase to bring you not just podcasts and videos, but live events as well. Osiris Media, killing it on the regular. Now let's get on with the show. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. Welcome back, home music lovers. You are now tuning in yet another exciting audio adventure with us here on Discologist. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual, coming to you live-ish from a tiny shack, a very highly sanitized tiny shack just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in the fine community of Bayview. Uh, I hope you are staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. More importantly, I hope you're staying indoors. Uh, this is a weird time for all of us, so... Uh, do what you got to do to take care of yourself. I know uh, we are here, but one of those things that we're doing here is listen to a lot of music and not just a lot of new music. Although there is that, but digging back into old music and one band that uh, I consistently uh, have loved forever because I'm from the South and I'm, I'm pretty much a redneck, uh, that is, is driving my lady crazy a little bit, but deep down she loves it is the Marshall Tucker band. Uh, this band is legendary. This band is, uh, Southern rock personified, uh, whether or not you, you might recognize some bigger names in there, Alma Brother Band, Alma Brothers Band, Leonard Skinner, but it's really about the Marshall Tucker Band. In 1977, they put out an album uh, called Carolina Dreams, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Mr. Philip Bass Knight of Broke Royals, sequestered in somewhere in Northern Virginia. Am I right, sequestered sir? Sequestered in Fairfax, as uh, Craig Finn once sang. You know, one thing I think both you and I love, I think I love it a little more, and we're going to get into that, is Southern Rock. And I think, for the most part, Southern Rock has been pretty maligned over the years. You know, you have what people most associated with is Leonard Skinner. Uh, you can go to Allman Brothers Band, but I don't know the people. People, that's more like hippie stuff. Uh, Drive by Truckers did a, did a fantastic album about it, Southern Rock Opera years ago, that uh, that sort of explored the, the legacy of Skinner and said, well, maybe you know you should take a second look at Southern Rock. I, I'm here to say that people should have been looking at it all along because of a little band called Marshall Tucker Band. Uh, this band from Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is bumfuck nowhere for anybody <laughs> who needs to know, uh, started in the early 70s. And it was a time when, you know, Van Rock was on the rise. It was a time when uh, people, men especially, were trying to be macho, which we're going to talk a lot about. And uh, it was a time when, when it, a lot of experimentation was coming. Like, you know, in, in 1972, when they formed uh, the Beatles, I think they were just about to break up. You're coming out of, like, the Woodstock generation. You, like, everything has been up, up, just a huge upheaval in the music world. And so people can pretty much do anything. 
And what this guy, Toy Caldwell, uh, wanted to do was take music that he loved, country music, western swing, jazz, and put it all in this big stew and uh, and turn it into something that I, – I, would you agree it's, it's unique even today? I think it's unique how well they pulled it off. Yeah. The, the pursuit is not totally unique. And it, one thing that's so interesting – just about the whole genre of Southern rock is that there's Southern rock. That's true Southern rock, Leonard Skinner, drive by truckers. But then there's also all these imitators, right? Molly hatchet. Hatchet. There's (laughs) Creedence Clearwater revival, which was trying so hard to position themselves as a Southern rock band when they weren't the Eagles arguably were trying to position them. themselves as a Southern rock band. Um, you know, stylistically, or they were trying to get away with that. And I think that adds to the confusion of is Southern rock worth it? Is it worth your time? Is it any good? Because there's a lot of decoys that float in and out and that creates, you know, confusion. Uh, it's so, so this is unique in that it, it is true Southern rock. It had high hopes and it actually succeeds. Yeah, yeah, Musically. I think, and, yeah, yeah uh, I, I want to play a little, we're, we're going to ease into the more um, extreme <laughs> Marshall Tucker tracks here <laughs> off Carolina Dreams, which was their 1977 hit album. And, um, you know, by this time they had had uh, four or five albums, one, two, three, four, five, yeah, five albums. One of them actually recorded here in Milwaukee, where we all belong. Uh, half of that is a live album uh, that has some fantastic work on it. But uh, ease into it, you know, when you think Southern Rock, you don't think. Um, necessarily just nice Texas country swing but this song Desert Skies this is exactly what that is Desert Skies there. It's a nice little 
slice of Western swing if you're like fans of people like Ray Benson and Asleep at the Wheel, more modern day uh, Dale Watson and Maripolitan is, is something that he does. Uh, it's it's like it's a band that you're likely to see at uh, Lukenbach, Texas. Yeah, that's Saturday dance hall music right there. Uh, but there's a there's a, a sort of vibe to it in that guitar, which is Toy Caldwell. It's almost jazz. It's a, there's something like so different about when Marshall Tucker Band does this stuff than other bands, uh, and uh, I think it's it's a result of these guys wanting to, well, for one, embracing a flute player. <laughs> in that in the mix this type of music was popular when they were younger and it was popular growing up and this is the precursor to like the Glen Campbell country and stuff like that but you just did not see this coming up in South Carolina right uh yeah no I I think it's uh it, it pulls everything together uniquely and it all hinges on how good the musicianship is for me you know, it's so well recorded. Everything sounds so strong, uh, and they all really stay in the pocket when they need to. And you know, there's just enough flourishes every time that it never sounds sloppy in the way that, like, uh, you know, Exile on Main Street does in an endearing way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's almost anti rock and roll in my mind uh, because it is so tight. Because it is, you know, the legend of Leonard Skinner was that they practice in the Hell House. Uh, incessantly until they got really good. Well, these guys were good just out the gate because they had that conditioning, that training in the jazz world. They uh, they also, though, were a little bit uh, macho. Let's <laughs> putting it mildly. There is this uh, hilarious strain of, of masculinity. I don't know if it's toxic. Well, now it, it doesn't translate now in 2020 terribly well, but it is uh, – Guys wanted to get in a van and kind of have a good time back then. They wanted to like maybe roll a joint, maybe drink a Budweiser, maybe pick up their lady in the van. I don't recommend picking up your lady in the van <laughs> too often, but it was it was all about having a good time. But they they were still coming out of of this fifties mentality back then, where the men were the biggest like providers. They they were the providers for the family. Possibly their most famous hit here, uh, a little song called Heard in a Love Song. And just the first lines of this, I ain't never been with with a woman long enough for my boots to get old. We've been together so long, they both need resold. If I ever settle down, you'd be my kind, and it's a good time for me to head on down the line. Now, I'm gonna, I want to play a little bit this, and, and you think about what those – you just heard these words and then think about how this makes you feel though when you hear it here's a little bit of a uh, no love song I ain't never been with a woman long enough for my boots to get old we've been together so long now they both need me so if I ever settle down you'd be my kind and that's a good time for me to hit on
there's almost a quality musically of like a southern steely dan but but more together in a groove whereas steely dan sounds you know vacuum sealed every instrument sounds vacuum sealed it's in its perfect studio recording whereas this really sounds like a band that gets out on the road and plays together and could chop it up on any of these songs for for three minutes or for 20 minutes whatever they need to do or whatever they want to do you know, uh, I think there's definitely, I don't know there any connection to the dead, but I do get strong dead vibes, I think. Oh, interesting. I, I think the uh, Tell It to the Devil just subconsciously has always th- struck me like Friend of the Devil and, you know, that kind of whole thing. And I don't know if there is any you know, overlap there, but, um, and I've never seen them live. So I don't know if, I don't know if they really take it out there like the dead, but um, there are, there's a cohesion with the band strikes me is very similar yeah 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 i hear a little bit that there's a looseness you know they like we mentioned they're coming up with the allman brothers band you know to your steely dan point where steely dan would be like a nice aged scotch you know these guys are just a <laughs> case of budweiser right and, and <laughs> you know the case of budweiser <laughs> yeah this this this, <laughs> this is this is uh them working men doing the work mm-hmm. uh in a band and not necessarily uh, being overly concerned about like getting the right snare sound for three days yeah, you know, until, yeah, until totally. you totally get it. They're like, yeah. the groove is important. Uh, what they're saying, I think is important. You know, that song I think is a classic for, uh, if you don't think about it, it's, it's, um, it's almost like if you're a dude who likes vans and eight tracks, it's, it's supposed to be melancholy, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be like, yeah, you know, but there's always this little wink in their songs that I love about this. Uh, that's now I find funny. I think then it was taken, it was meant to be taken seriously where the, you get to that chorus, like heard it in a love song. And he's basically saying, look, you know, I'm saying all this shit that like, I'm a guy and people expect me to say this shit, but I'm just saying it because people have been, have told me this. And at the end of the song, he's like, yeah, I really stay with, he stays with this woman who's in the song, whether she should be kicking into the curb after all that he said is a whole, (laughs) the whole entire other story. Uh, and, and that, that sort of, uh, almost self-awareness is it's what's so fascinating about this band you you jump forward into the 70s they were certainly a part of this you have bands like aria speedwagon come up you have bands like toto you have bands like foreigner you know they're out doing something almost similar and they're similar like the way they came up is similar they're all fantastic musicians but they're more spectacle Right. Mm-hmm. And they're more, you know, it's just it's this weird middle of the road masculinity where like those bands can't really play with the androgyny that mm-hmm. they they were like, we love Bowie, but we, but we got a hold yeah. of on that, yeah. you know, and, and Marshall Tucker band was just like, we're rednecks, man. Let's just go for it. But how weird is it? And this is not just them. This is just culture in general that like male American male masculinity, whatever male masculinity, American masculinity is so uh, rigid outside from maybe the occasional sporting event where your team wins and rock music. You're allowed to get emotional when you see, you know, Jethro Tull or whatever it is. <laughs> and you're allowed, to, you're allowed to get emotional when the Yankees win, but like otherwise it's got to be so bottled up. And there's something that that is sort of an unspoken understanding that uh, – people have maybe with their dads or their partners or whatever it is uh, that, you know, it's okay to see them get emotional then. I think we've definitely moved away from that in 2020. 
I think people express themselves all types of ways. But certainly when I was growing up, and I think for a long time before then, that was one of the few outlets where you could really express emotion was when you were listening to music. And that doesn't just go for rock music. I know that goes, you know, generations before. And But it is such a strange outlet. It's like the male ego suppresses it, but it sometimes bursts out. So we've decided to channel it through music. That's an appropriate place where uh, the man is allowed to be sad. He maybe is allowed to shed a tear when Frank Sinatra sings. You know, it's it's such a strange... Uh, phenomenon and as a result you get bands like this whose lyrics really could have used a, a strong editor uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep and yep, it's just, there it is you know i think it's like the sometimes it's it's almost like the music is um guiding the way for that like music and culture are guiding the way for these lyrics more than they are guiding their own like providing their own self-expression if they're kind of writing what they think the world wants to hear is how it rings to me not really like digging deep for these emotions but kind of offering up what what would fit in the avenue as they see it and that and that's the complexity here right like they they are you know by all accounts that is one of the more perfect like pop songs to come out of that era Mm -hmm. and uh, and they did it but with a flute intro (laughs) <laughs> like, like, so this is this is this some very like high level thinking, some galaxy brain shit when they're t- talking about making their music, and it's I can't tell if they're the question is always if they are constrained if they if you're meant to laugh at this if you're meant to take it seriously, mm-hmm. uh, if you're meant like who like is I'm sure there is out there some somebody heard this song on the radio and starts like quoting these lines back to their woman as he's leaving her, you know, <laughs> like you know because artists have that impact. <laughs> Yeah, but can you imagine this? Like, like what? You know, and, I can imagine and, her shutting the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just be like, no, I don't, yeah, I don't no, think that's going to be happening for you. <laughs> but th- there's, uh, you know, there's evidence that maybe they did know and they were kind of in on the joke a little bit. In mm. uh, the song that immediately follows that, this song, uh, I should have never started loving you, is has all of what we were talking about in it. But at the end of the day, it becomes. This immensely sweet, immensely powerful song that uh, that I'll hold up with any of the great soul classics. Here's a little bit of this, and uh, if you haven't heard this before, then like uh, I don't know, get ready to feel some feelings. I should have never started loving you. You hurt me in a way that I had never
you, you know, you, you feel the same pain that you in that voice and and that how the band is just interacting and reacting. It's, it's a seven minute track, first of all. But uh, you know how everybody is interacting and reacting to that, but uh, that is up there with the Sam Cooks, Percy Sledges. This is up there uh, with Otis Redding and and expressing real uh, heartache, even as the the song is is kind of. It's an admission of mistake, but also, like I think, carrying on. I can't. I've never been quite clear exactly where they're landed in this. I mean, I think there's a true admission of guilt in this one. Yeah, and that that is what puts it in the category of Sam Cooke, you know, great soul classics, because there's there's an honest, open admission of guilt, and that's something that I think is. Me- there's a veneer on the other songs that, <laughs> that that you don't get you don't get that you know uh, direct channel to the honesty like you do on this song and uh, yeah I mean uh, the, front to back all the all the songs are great to listen to yeah but it's not always it's it's on this one specifically that when you dial in with the lyrics there is something more to hang on to as well. So that that makes it special. Yeah, and it has this like legendary like saxophone solo. Sure. Uh, and when, when you get to that, I mean, it has all the right ingredients. It is almost like weirdly like contradicting in the words what it's trying to do uh, in the actual song. And again, I think that that's the that's the complexity and and I'm going to be the mystery forever of Marshall Tucker Band. You know, did they really mean it? You know, songs like Silverado or Never Never Trust a Stranger. Like it's just like you guys are from South Carolina. You're not cowboys. Right. But so where <laughs> where is this coming from? And and it's you know, it's it's inner children dressing up and playing these roles for an audience that clearly craved it. These guys were huge, like you said. They they can go out, they woodshed it and they, they toured incessantly, even after like basically all the members died. <laughs> There's only one person left in there uh, now. I think it might be Doug Gray uh, is in there, but uh, but everybody else has either passed on or uh, including Toy Caldwell or just not in the band anymore. And they still are out there on the road like wow. doing these songs. I think they were making albums as late as like 1990 and of new material. The, you know, they're a massive band. Everyone knows their songs, at least mm-hmm. a few of them. But they don't have the mythology, the personal mythology of a lot of these other classic rock bands. And that's, you know, I don't I don't know what that is. I, I don't personally know a ton about them, but um, it, it is interesting that they didn't have, you know, even certain elements of their personality that really came out. Um, you know, I even feel like I know more about Leonard Skinner. Yeah, I think it's because these guys were just nerds. <laughs> like this, this, this quote from Tommy Caldwell, he says uh, he described uh, their band's music as progressive country, saying that they play country music structures and riffs combined with jazz, improv, and more complex structures that was built up from the country music foundation. Now, jazz came from and country both came from blues, you know. So you're you're certainly getting back into that uh, that foundation of the the tree of music. But yeah, I, I think you know you're right. There isn't any behind the music you can go to there. I mean, I'm sure they were, they were out there like yeah. doing the rock star thing, but they seem just like, 
<laughs> like normal dudes are like, I yeah. guess we got another gig. Let's go do another gig. Let's play. Let's keep playing and stuff. Um, you know, they seem the the live album from here in Milwaukee. It's <laughs> It, oh, it's so friendly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what you don't expect and you don't haven't had certainly in a long time in a rock band. You know, a lot of rock bands uh, try to be scary, especially like you think about Alice Cooper in the 70s. Sure. You know, uh, but these guys were just like, come on, man. Let's just and hang out. Maybe in that way, they kind of started the their own lineage of friendly Southern rock bands. I, I think of like Derek Trucks and other thing, people who just they're. You know, Eve Jason Isbell, I think, has now put himself in this category of we just want to work hard. We're here to work hard. We're going to work hard. You might not love every record, but, you know, this is a hard touring band, a hard rocking band. And uh, we're true to our southern roots. And I don't know. I can't think of any earlier group that that just went out and kind of paved that way. And it's I mean, it's pretty impressive. It's it's a it's a hard lifestyle because i think you can get away with a lot if you've got a personality that people will come back to if you're if you're selling your personality on top of the music you know i think that the records go a little quicker but if you're a band like this you just gotta keep after it and it's really always about the music and and consider that uh it is always about the music in, except until it isn't so you consider you mentioned the grateful dead a lot of that is about like the scene around it allman brothers band very much mm-hmm. you know where this band is, is more uh sort of generic like whiskey i keep making drink references i don't know why uh but you know allman brother band is is extremely lysergic like mm-hmm. they they are out there they were always out there you know mm-hmm. and you don't regardless of maybe these guys were all like tripping their face off an LSD. Yeah. Never heard about it. And it doesn't show up in the songs. You know, it's just like, you know, they could have gone on like a soul journey and showed up for the show the next night and just be like, just going to keep it tight boys. Keep it tight. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, that's something, uh, you know, for me, and it's at the end of the day, that's actually what I really love about this band and all their albums. We're talking about Carolina dreams, but you can just pull an album out and you're, and it's satisfying. And, and the reason is because they are uh, their workhorses, and, and they just stay solid throughout the entire thing. And I, I like I try to think a lot of times now about is there like an analog to a modern band? Not not too many. I think Isbell is. I, I don't think Isbell has like the. He doesn't hit. have the Carolina Dreams yet, but he doesn't have the Carolina Dreams yet. Uh, but you know, but you know, and I don't know if that's a function of like we don't necessarily want that in our society yeah, there's, now there's almost no room for a, a hit like this on the radio i mean <gasps> maybe i guess the only thing i can think of and nathaniel rateliff had that sort of you can get like kind of a drinking you can get a drinking country rock so a drinking southern rock song on the radio these days but that's about it and real and you know because country music is such a uh, such an industry and such a machine I think anything like this would probably get swept up, swept up into that. Um, what was that band that we talked about? Um, Brothers Osborne. Oh yeah, those, yeah. They, those guys, they've got that's kind of the same vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would, I would yeah, you're in, right. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't always. They no. didn't always, yeah. and, and yeah. they just their last album. They were kind of like trying to emulate a little more Buffett vibe. And maybe Sorry. maybe that's it. We haven't done a Buffett podcast yet, but we will. And I think honestly, I think these guys fall into that. Like you know, if if Buffett and Marshall Tucker band saw each other on the highway crossing by, they'd be like, yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> like, game yeah. recognized game, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, you know, it, yeah, it's just uh, there, and there is a fine line 
what you're talking about is is a lot of what's going on in country music where people are just like you know two shots grab my lady's ass and whatnot and then classic uh, yeah you gotta copyright that my man (laughs) (laughs) um i i'm pretty sure it's already taken uh but but you know even when there is this mass sad misogyny deep down in this like it is looking towards a more romantic time than two shots grab the ass I think what we were talking about, I was talking about uh, John Moreland. I was talking about Wes, and we said, you know, there's too many beer and titty songs. And and, <laughs> and we basically decided that maybe there should only be one. And there should only be one type of song about this. And and so the genius here that I, I see in Marshall Tucker Band is that they, they are the only people allowed to really practice and explore this mode of, of eight-track, macho, like leather vest, mm-hmm. like vibe that are people people putting off and if you can't if you can't even approach that then just stop trying man <laughs> just give it up it's been done it, it has been done and uh you know maybe we'll see uh you know maybe we'll see more people come around to this i know so many closeted marshall tucker band fans i know i know some out in the open marshall tucker band fans sure. but uh so many people who are just like and they recognize the song and then they realize they recognize like 30 songs yeah <laughs> like oh yeah you follow their career man yeah no yeah. i think they've made their they've made their impact on you know american culture and radio and it, they didn't fade away but yet they also don't have the iconic you know uh poster hanging in guitar center or something status yeah. that a lot of their peers there, went on to achieve there's no dorm room version of marshall tucker <laughs> exactly band, yeah so, or if it is it'd just be like five like dudes just sitting around like hey yeah yeah <laughs> uh all right maybe this podcast will change that maybe i hope i so. hope i hope uh, everybody's it's a hell got of an a album yeah it is this this album is a motherfucker of an album this is like if you collect vinyl if you're starting to collect vinyl this is the first thing you should get mm. uh if you get the live one that I mentioned, it's done in the back in the day. You can stack records on top of each other, so it's side one, and then side two is on a whole other platter. And then it's like it's a whole it's a whole thing, but it makes you uh, makes you appreciate it more. But That's yeah, I, I think I think you know everybody has time now, and so maybe dig really dig into Marshall Tucker Band and uh, and see what you find. You might find uh, something good. Might inspire you to get a band. I don't know. That's some, somewhere in between. Marshall Tucker Band's Carolina Dreams out there available for you to dig into now if you haven't ever. If you are uh, a Yankee and you're thinking, oh, I don't know about all this Southern rock. Uh, trust me, man. You know, this is uh, – first of all, they are the best at it. But second of all, like 
these art forms all sprung from the blues, but particularly Texas swing is something that when you really dive into it, you see how it informs everything uh, from this to the Bakersfield sound to modern country music, the good country music, not not the uh, not the bunch of beers and driving your Jeep around and donuts type music, but uh, but you can you can find a lot to love in in not just. Uh, Marshall Tucker band, but sort of the tree that their branch is growing off of. So, so dig into that. And, you know, remember when, when stuff starts to open back up, you know, these albums are, uh, to my mind, at least largely kind of forgotten, you know, there's where we all belong is one of those albums. It's a live album. This was in 1974 that, uh, you can find it like most used record shops for like five bucks, 10 bucks for a good copy, I think. And when all this stuff opens back up, you need to go out and start looking for this stuff and uh, support these shops because they are taking a hit and uh, and they're going to need uh, even just picking up dumb shit like this or Eric Clapton's August. You know, you don't have to get the high dollar stuff. Just even the uh, the older stuff is going to sound so fresh and new. But that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, that is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, go out on the socials and, and do the thing. We're at Chunky Glasses. Uh, and, uh, you know, I want to give a little shout-out to our friend Eduardo right now. He is, uh, you know, he's a superhero. You know that uh, we've talked about that before. But he really is. Uh, the organization he works for is uh, heavily uh, invested in in basically taking care of how blood donations go. And right now, I, I got this message from him. He said, work's been nuts working with the FDA to get this convalescent plasma thing up and running nationwide, still running a 30-person team working from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day, pretty much, including weekends. Uh, you know, that is what uh, heroes do, and then Morm, his, his wife is in, in the hospitals right now, so think of these people, and, uh, and if you can, support them financially or just you know send them a ping them on twitter or facebook or whatever say hey you're doing a great job hang in there and uh with that we are out talk to you in a few short days next week maybe pretty in pink the soundtrack you know what i'm talking about maybe irreversible entanglements uh maybe we'll just go deeper into the kevin hall and and do a whole you know 20 episode spread on crowded house i don't know but either way it'll be fun so We'll talk to you soon. Until then, be good to hear the barbecue people. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>